Peace world, easy world, your man and Boogie. Don't worry about the name, get used to the voice. And it is another episode of Keeping the Towel. Thank you for moving, rocking, and vibing with me as always. And ladies and gentlemen, it is a new time. It is a new moment. It's a new second. It's a new minute. It's a new hour. It's a new day. And it's a new season. And this season, it is my favorite part of the year. And that is the Father's Day time where we get a chance to celebrate fathers now ladies and gentlemen i know i've heard it many times why and you don't celebrate mothers nah it has nothing to do with that it's just the fact that we don't want to forget that fathers are also a very important cog in this structure called family and community and so i have it the why i kept my towel series father's day edition where i get a chance to spit and sit down with some dope fathers vibe with them about their upbringing and their journey into fatherhood and ladies and gentlemen i got another father who is in the mix with me and this brother man i am proud to know him i'm proud to say he is basically like my mentor and um i learned so much from him and the biggest thing i've seen about him he's an incredible husband and definitely an incredible incredible father but i'm gonna let you hear it from him yourself ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together for my guy mr brent miller hailing all the way from kentucky by way of the buckeye state ohio mr miller are you in the building sir Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, I feel like I'm ready to get in the ring and go 12 rounds hey, after that. boy, we about to do it. Let's do it. So here's what I need you to do, Mr. Miller. Go ahead and get your hands wrapped. Get your gloves on. Put your headgear on. Get your grind guard on. And don't forget your mouthpiece and make your way to the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, get around the ring and grab a seat. It is Aunt Boogie and Brent Miller. And our round, our sparring session has officially started. Let's get it. All right. Yeah. So, Brent, let's go ahead and slide in this deuce and a quarter. You sit in the driver's seat. I'm going to sit in the passenger seat. Let's pop in this eight track. And let's roll. Let's roll. Let's go all the way back to 1970. And let us know. Where did it all start for Mr. Brent Miller? I was born by the <laughs> river. <laughs> He's a fool. I, uh, actually, I was born in uh, Maysville, Kentucky, right on the Ohio River. Youngest of five in my natural family. And then I have another family, which became like my natural family. So I'm the oldest of five on that side. Well, actually, six. Mother and father, both from Kentucky. The reason we moved to Cincinnati, my father couldn't keep a job because he was very outspoken. From what I'm told, he helped start the NAACP in Kentucky. And, you know, of course, they didn't like that. And this was back in the 64, 65. Didn't know until talking to my sister a couple of years ago that experienced a little bit of a Jim Crow. We lived when we lived in Kentucky, we went to the ice cream stand called the White Light and we had to go to the side window. And I just thought it was the quickest way. Didn't know we couldn't go to the front window. We had to go to the side because we were black. Mm. Uh, the Russell Theater was a movie theater. We went in the side door straight up to the balcony. Hey, I just thought it was the easiest way to the balcony as a kid. And it wasn't until I became an adult. I found out we couldn't go through the front door. We had to go through the side door. So, you know, when we think about uh, everything we've been through as a people, as a country, it hasn't been that long ago. Sometimes I think we felt like it's been hundreds of years, and it hasn't been. So moved to Cincinnati, had a great 
childhood. My dad coached my baseball team. But, you know, like any family, people say they come from a dysfunctional family. I don't know a family that's not dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the same problems as a lot of other people. My father drank. Him and my mother argued and fought. As a kid, you wake up in the middle of the night hearing it and try to make it go away. And sometimes you can't. The memory stays with you. So from what I understand, talking to other people, that's being honest. It wasn't no different than their childhood. You know, parents argued, parents fought, they reconciled and moved on. But I think the thing and that kind of helped shape me good and bad was my parents wound up getting divorced. Me being a baby of the, my natural family, everybody was out of the house. So my mom worked second shift. So a lot of times I would be home alone. And it's funny, I never thought of this until we I talked to uh, Mo. Our friend Tarnisha Mo says we were doing a coaching session and she was asking me, why don't you finish stuff? And I was like, I don't know. When things get to a certain point, I don't want to do it. I just stopped. Hmm. And so as we talked and I told her how I was home alone a lot, she said, well, that's part of the reason. She said, because you feel like who's going to check me, boo? Wasn't nobody there to check you. Your mother was at work. Your siblings were gone. Your dad had moved out. So you did what you want when you wanted. Hmm. And she said, that's why you feel like you can do what you want to do. And I was like, man, when she said that, aunt, it was like that aha moment, like the clouds part, the sun come out, and it's like, ah. And it really got me to thinking, man, is this why I'm the way I am? Because I think, man, you talked before, I've always had like a thing with authority. I resented yeah. authority. <laughs> well, that's because I ain't had nobody to... You know, not that my parents didn't discipline me, but at that critical age of middle school going into high school, I was there by myself. So it was like I did what I wanted. Other thing came out of that coaching session with Mo was, man, I always worked with kids, started two different youth groups, mentor kids to this day. But for some reason, man, I was running from working with the youth and I couldn't figure out why, because it's what I've always done. And I think part of it was me looking at life like, Oh man, kids, there's a lot of people working with kids. I want to work with the adults, this, that, and the other. And Mo was driving two days after, either the next day or two days after we talked. And she called me and she was like, Oh my God, Brent. She said, Youth is where you're supposed to be because we had settled that that's where I was supposed to be. She said, You need to deal with the youth to rescue your younger self. There are kids Ooh. like you that didn't have the parents there because they were working or whatever. And it's your assignment to help them so that they don't go through some of the pitfalls that you went through, uh, being angry, resenting authority, not finishing things because you felt like you can live life on your terms. And man, when she said that, Aunt, I think I was down for an eight count, man. They had to check my gloves and everything else to make sure I was still able to finish the fight. Wow. You need to work with the youth to go ahead and resolve some things from your youth. Wow, that is, boy, that's that's real right there. That is real. You come outside the house. What was the neighborhood like? Was it a predominantly black neighborhood, mixed neighborhood, where it was a complete family, mom, dad? Let's just clear this up, folks. It's just it's a different time. Mom, dad, and kids. What was the neighborhood like when where you grew up at? So, man, I grew up in a very close-knit community, man, so... I grew up in an area in Cincinnati called Kennedy Heights. But what made it so unique, man? At the time, it was pretty middle class. You had my mother worked at the post office. My dad was a grocery manager. 
And we had a little bit of everything. We had single parent households. A lot of the households were two family kids. Man, we played uh, sports in the street. It was funny because we lived on the street with no sidewalks. And when we played baseball, there was a little retaining wall in one of our neighbor's yards. And there was a telephone pole in the other. And so if you hit the telephone pole or the retaining wall, it was an automatic home run in baseball. And when we played football, if you went in the grass, which was our yard, you got tackled. So, you know, man, a very close community. And then we had Silverton uh, right up the street from us in Pleasant Ridge Down. And it was one of those communities, man, where uh, we had sports, had a lot of great sports, football, baseball, basketball, cheerleading. I think one year they even did track. But the community was close-knit because this was what made it so unique. The fathers, man, almost all the fathers in the neighborhood, when they got off of work, they came and coached the sports teams. Mm. So you had a couple of dads that worked at the post office. Uh, other ones did other things, and they would get off of work, go home, get the stuff, and come out and coach the kids. So we had a lot of positive male influences growing up in our community. That's what's up, man. So, Brent, let's hit this a little further in our journey Brent is in high school because, as you said, you had these anger issues. You had problems with authority. Take us to Brent Miller, the teenager in high school. What was he like? Um, High school was a freeing experience for me. When I was in high school, they called us the AA, the academic alcoholic. At lunchtime, we would go drink. We would smoke. (laughs) We would come back. Me in class, have sleep, chilling, and... That was kind of my high school, man. Um, It's weird, Ant, because I think about how we used to drink. This was our weekend. So in Cincinnati, you can go across the bridge to Kentucky. And there was a store across the river called, I think it was called the Caboose. Well, we can go over there and buy liquor. They ain't card nobody. We go over and lunchtime, get us something to drink, come back in the parking lot, drink. But on the weekend, this is what we get. We get a fifth of one, Bacardi's 151 Light a fifth of Bacardi's 151 Dark, and a fifth of Black Jack. You take the 151 Light, chase it with the Black Jack, and then chase it with the 151 Dark. And it was like five or six of us, and that's what we did. And then we just go party, go to the uh, high school dances, house parties, and that was high school, man. And I, I was one of those people in high school, bruh. I got along with everybody, but if I was having a bad day, people knew not to talk to me. They... They even called me the Mad Duke a couple of times because it was like the little dude off the cartoons. If I looked at you a certain way, you knew not to talk to me because I might cut you out or anything. And that was just, man, just me wilding out. So let me write that down. Fifth of dark, fifth of light. (laughs) All right, I'm just doing that for research purposes, you know, for for holy holy libation. That's all it is. But um, that's it. (laughs) But Brent, do you feel due to this anger with did it stem from stuff that that you had to deal with in the house, you know, with pops and all that stuff? Did you think it had to stem it stem from that or something else? I think it goes back to just me, you know, kind of being home alone. Because you know, man, I look at my older siblings. And they always say, so the, my three older siblings are stair stacked. And so they feel like they got the best of my mother and father as far as the discipline, the school, and everything like that. Whereas when me and my brother right above me, 
we got some of that, but we got more of the the trappings of life, I would say. You know, my mother bought us nicer clothes than they had earlier, and my dad did stuff like that. So it was like they got one good end, but we got another good end. And don't get me wrong now, my mother disciplined us, and my dad did too, but I think at that critical age of going from, so in Cincinnati Middle School was 7th, 8th, and ninth grade for some communities, and then high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So during 7th, 8th, and ninth, when I probably needed a little more structure, a little more guidance, I didn't have it. And so that's why I think being probably angry at life, being angry at my situation, and then just feeling like, hey, I'm going to do me. You participated in sports in high school, I assume, or not? Once I got to high school, I didn't really play sports. And once again, and just that mentality, man, I in the community, we always played football and everything. And I played baseball all the way up until probably seventh grade, but I loved football. And I was going to play football my senior year. And every summer I would go to a church camp and I missed the first week or two of conditioning. So I called the coach like, hey, coach, I'll be there next uh, week. I want to play football. A lot of guys I had played with told him I could play. And he said, well, it wouldn't be fair for you to come in and get in a starting position and you don't miss, miss two weeks of conditioning. Now, being young and immature, I'm like, well, if you know I should start and you ain't going to let me play, then I ain't going to play. I ain't hurt nobody <laughs> but myself. It ain't hurt him. But, you know, and instead of me just saying, yes, sir, going in, taking my little punishment, getting caught up, and earning a starting position, I, I thought I was too good. And, you know, and it's just funny when when I recollect about some things. I think about when I played baseball. I got to laugh at myself, man. I remember one time I was supposed to be at baseball practice, and up the street from us, there was a big tree. I was sitting under the tree taking a nap, and my mother saw me. She's like, why ain't you at baseball practice? And I was like, oh, I ain't feel like going today. And I started, even though I didn't go to practice, my mother told the coach, if he don't bring his butt to practice, he don't start. I don't care how good he is. If he can't practice like everybody else, then he don't get to play. Mm. And you know me. Okay, fine. I won't play then. <laughs> but she didn't let me quit. My butt had to ride the bench until I start going to practice. So. Oh, wow. What? Yo, that's that's a, that's the old school mother. You you don't have some of that now. Today now, you know, the kid don't oh, feel like practicing. Or mom, dad, like, hey, just still let my kid play so it don't matter. After high school. Now Brent goes out into the world to now become a man, to learn the, the, the ways of, of a man. What was this like for you? So this this was probably the hardest part of my life. Uh, graduated high school in 82. And me and my mom were very close um, because we went to church together and uh, the church. We went to Jamaica before with the church. We went on the cruise. And me and my mother spent a lot of time together. Well, I graduated high school in 82. Uh, went to UC for my first semester, second semester, couldn't really afford to pay for it because my mom was sick. And then she wound up passing in 90, in 83, excuse me. So I graduated high school in 82. She passed in 83. And I think that's another reason, and that for years I had a kind of effort attitude mm. because I tell people losing my mother, which was, I mean, a phenomenal woman. Losing her, it was probably the worst pain I ever felt in my life. And I said, what can anybody do anything to hurt me? So I just had this this mentality. There's nothing you can say or do 
that would hurt me as much as losing my mother. Now, earlier I mentioned that I had like a second natural family and met them through church. And I mean, they are my siblings. I, I don't want to make a distinction like anything, but they are my family. I think a couple of years after my mom died, my second natural mother died. So I really had a like bumping attitude, went in the military. So when my mom passed, I took out a piece of paper and I wrote college, job, military. And I said, okay, what are the pros of getting a job? You know, you make some money. And that was kind of it. The cons was I would have to find a place to live. You know, would I make enough to survive? So that was job. College was like, okay, am I going to be able to afford it? And if so, how am I going to get the money and everything like that? And so the last one was military. The pros were get paid twice a month, have somewhere to eat, have somewhere to live, you know, learn a trade. And there was really no downside to it because it covered my basic needs. So I enrolled in the military, man, and you're talking about a disaster. And I didn't give myself a chance to grieve. I think I went into the military maybe maybe a month after my mother died. And anybody that's lost anybody, mother, brother, sister, great friend, you know, the grieving process, there is no timetable on it. And the very first night I was in the military, I almost got in trouble. And it was just one thing after another. So the story is, when you first get there, I went to Great Lakes. I was in the Navy, and they had me all in the big room, and they're assigning you to your platoons. And they like, when we call your name, you know, you respond, yes, sir. And then we tell you what platoon you in. So they call in names, and he called my name, and I was like, yes, sir. And he said something, and I was like, what you say? And he's like, who said that? Where's he at? I said, if you speak louder, I can hear you. What did you say? Everybody's like, oh, my God. And and I'm like, and and like I said, I'm, what, 19? Man ain't got a care in the world. So we get past that. We get to our barracks that night. And everybody laying in their bunk. They're like, man, did you hear that guy? Man, that guy's crazy. This and that. I said, man, I ain't scared of that dude. What are you going to do to me? And everybody just like, oh, my God. So it, it was crazy. And, and I'll tell you one other story in the military. So I wound up getting kicked out the military, stayed in trouble because, like I said, didn't give myself a chance to grieve. Mm. And, you know, when you're in the military, you go before the it's called captain's mass, which is like court. And you go before the XO. I had to go before the XO because me and this guy got into it. And the XO was like, well, he said you called him a name. I said, I didn't call him a name. I just called him other because he was Filipino or something. And this is just telling you how my mind worked at the time. I said, I just called him other. And the XO was like, why you call him other? I said, well, you know, on the application, it's black, white, other. He has to check other. And the XO <laughs> laughed for a minute. And then he called himself and he was like, well, you can't say that. And I'm like, well, it's true. You know, that's what he has to do. So I got in trouble for that, man, and a couple other things and wound up getting kicked out the military. You're out. You've been discharged, and here you are out in the real world. Who's Brent Miller at this point now? At this point, Brent is trying to gather his bearings. So I get out the military. I go live with my sister, uh, get a job, and, you know, start making some headway in society, starting to work on myself, starting to do some things to better myself. And at that point, and I think I really recommitted myself to church getting involved in the church and just trying to get my foundation up under me. 
So, Brandon, as we in this car, we now are about to get on to a different highway. You meet this beautiful lady. Yeah, I don't know what, what you sprayed on, that Stetson or something cologne. <laughs> and y'all meet and y'all date, blah, blah, blah. And I was I don't know how it's, how it's done, but some way, somehow, you get word. Brent, I'm pregnant. Mr. Miller, put me in that time. So it's funny because me and my wife laugh about this. I went to, when I first graduated high school, I went to University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, where there's a college right down the street called Xavier. And once I got out the military, started working, I was like, you know what? I need to find me a good girl. So I was like, you know what? There's some good girls go over that school. Let me go over there and find me a girlfriend, a future wife. So went over there and I found this young lady. She was cute, smart, and aunt. The first time I tried to talk to her, she shut the door in my face and everything like, boy, please, I got other things to do. But persistence, man, tell people all the time, persistence, got to be persistent. So finally I wore her down and, uh, <laughs> with the Stetson know, cologne, after, say that again, with the Stetson cologne. Hey, it was probably must because I played football at that time. So, you know, I'm leaving practice, going over on campus, trying to find something. And uh, so, you know, we date. And she told me one day she was pregnant. And I was like, okay, cool. And I always had a philosophy, man. I, I couldn't see myself married to you. There wasn't no need in us being intimate. Mm. Just in the event that that did happen. When she told me, uh course was a little nervous was still trying to get my footing up under me still trying to figure out life but I always had a job sometimes two jobs so it's like okay you know my dad instilled in us good work ethic and even though he was not a perfect man he was a good example of working taking care of the family making sure bills and stuff are paid make sure needs and some wants are taken care of so I already knew what I had to do but it was exciting to find out we prayed for a boy and when we found out it was a boy we both were excited and then I tell you something man people underestimate the value of talking to your future child so go back when my mother was pregnant with me my dad you know they had struggled a little bit moving from Kentucky and he told my mother he really didn't want any more kids Mm. and so part of my anger came from rejection not that my father knew me, but he just knew he was tired of struggling. And, you know, back in the day, you ain't want another mouth to feed. That's less money and everything else. And then my dad had a great relationship. I countered that with when I found out I was having a son. I talked to him. I would read to him while uh, my wife was carrying him and built a, a really good bond with him while he was in the womb. And I remember at towards the end in her third trimester, he would lay on her bladder and she would just keep going to the bathroom. And the doctor was like, well, do you talk to him? And we were like, yeah. She said, the doctor said, well, tell your husband to tell him to move. And by then we had picked out a name and everything. And I was calling him by name. And I said, Kendall, uh, move off of mommy's bladder. And he moved. Mm. And when I would come home and he would hear my voice, man, it was like he would get excited in the room. He would start moving and you see a foot here and an elbow here. And it was kind of crazy, but I just say that to say, man, the relationship starts as soon as you know that child is conceived and 
you start talking to the baby and reading to them and just letting them know how excited you are to meet them. Yes. So that's where fatherhood starts for me. You hear? Rent, get to the hospital. I'm about to pop this thing. So you get there and here it is. This newly formed bean out the oven. Ten fingers, ten toes. And they put this little new form of life in your arms. Brent Miller, you're now a dad. What was that like? Man, that that was a feeling and that it's like you run the gamut of emotions because it's like, man, I'm responsible for somebody other than myself. Just the whole miracle of birth process, something that started as a seed, now it's a living, breathing thing. And you're responsible for nurturing it, raising it, equipping it to someday be an adult. And it, it was a great day, but it was somewhat of a scary day, too. How so? Just uncertainty, man, of, you know, knowing what my issues were in the past. Would I pass them on to him? Would I do the right thing? Would I make sure he's safe? It's weird, man. One day you feel like you're invincible, and then the next thing you know, you're responsible for this life, and you feel like, my God, I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, like they say, there's no manual no. when it comes to kids. So, Brent, this little baby boy that you prayed for, you got, he's first on his back, then now crawling, then walking and talking. What was it like to watch this process, Dad, go through the stages to see what he was becoming before your eyes? And I tell you what, I give my wife a ton of credit, man. She, with uh, both our kids, man, awesome mother, awesome wife, very nurturing, very loving, very compassionate and tenderhearted. She did an excellent job with me out working, being home, making sure he was well taken care of, uh, reading to him, just filling him with knowledge. And making sure he knew he was loved, man, you know. And one thing I can't understand, and I've confronted a couple of people on it, when you see people in the store cussing out their kids. Oh, boy. And it's like, I said, if, and I asked one lady, I said, how would you feel if I start cussing you out right now? She'd be like, well, why would you do that? I ain't doing nothing. I said, but how does that kid feel that you're cussing them out like they're a grown person? Mm-hmm. And she just kind of stopped and looked. I said, we got to think about what we're doing. I tell you one thing we didn't do with our kids, man. We didn't do baby talk. We didn't do that, dad, dad, goo-goo. Uh-huh. We didn't do that because I've always been a practical person, and and I feel like if I'm your how you learn knowledge and how you learn to talk, why would I put an extra step in there talking baby talk instead of just talking to you normal and right? So when he started school, they talked about how articulate he was, how smart he was. Now, he had a little bit of me in him now. He, he couldn't sit still for nothing. And he loved to socialize. So seeing that was funny. But And I tell you, fast forward, man, I've learned so much about myself in my later days from watching my son. You know, me and my wife prayed that he would be a good mixture of me and her. And, you know, man, we pray these prayers, Aunt, and God like, oh, you want him to have this, this, and this from you. I'm going to give him this, this, and this from his mother. And giving this from you, and it's like, uh, God, that's not the mix we want. <laughs> God's like, hey, this is what you got. But I tell you what, man, a great young man, yeah. very proud of him. And like I said, I've learned so much about myself over the years watching him that it is funny. One story during the pandemic, 
when I worked, man, I, I'm one of the people I want to go to work, do my job. And if I think it's a better way, I'm going to tell you. And a lot of times they don't care about that. They want you for your brawn, not your brain. Absolutely. And so my son was going through that one day and he came in like, dad, can I talk to you? Sure, son. So he started telling me and I just started laughing. And he got a love set. He said, dad, it's not funny. I'm being serious. And I said, son, it's not you. I said, I see myself at your age and how I used to look to people. And I look ridiculous. And I just couldn't stop laughing because I seen myself and how people used to tell me, man, chill out. It ain't that serious. Keep your mouth shut this. And it was the funniest thing, man. And, and every now and then he'll say or do something and I'll see myself and it's like, okay, God, got you. Recognize it. <laughs> so we slide down the block a couple more times and now we turn the corner. You hear this again. I'm pregnant. And now you find out it's a little girl. Brent, what is your mindset like now at this point? <laughs> Man, let me tell you something. <laughs> Anybody that got a daughter, no, from the moment that little girl come into this world, it's over. Mm. That girl at two years old hurt my feelings worse than anybody I ever known to hurt my feelings just by little things she would say. But man, that is my son is my dog, but my daughter is my mini me. She mm. is so much like me, man. It's it's ridiculous. Brent, they she cursed you out. Say that again. She cursed you out. Nah, she ain't cussing me out, but <laughs> hey, it, it dang near felt like it. Like, leave me alone. I don't want to play with you or something, she said. Mm. I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm dad, man. I was so hurt. <laughs> and it's like, boy, them daughters, man. But I tell mm. you what, I, I thank God for both my kids, man. They have truly been a blessing. Uh, once again, give my wife all the credit in the world for just all that she instilled in them allow me to be me but allow me to do what i needed to do to provide and to take care of and she held the house down man so i have nothing but respect and love for your kids have grown and they were growing but then you did something else you went out and started mentor groups you started some, you were doing some. And I remember when you and I, we went to a video shoot at one point. And what was so surprising that those two men, that they remember you when they were little teenagers or preteens to now as grown men, they remember all the times with you. You started mentoring young people. Brent, what got you into that? I think, and even back then, filling the void, man. Like I said, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, man, he had a bad childhood being home alone. Because, man, I had some great, great times. Uh, digress just a little bit. Mm -hmm. When you asked about the neighborhood, there was a lady that lived across the driveway from us, Miss Drummond. And she had a, like, a goddaughter that was in the music industry. And, man, we'd be outside playing baseball in the street, and a bus would pull up a tour bus. And we, you know, we kids, we don't think nothing about it. But then these people get off and they start introducing us to us. Man, we met Eddie Kendricks, Whoa. Sam and Dave, a bunch of the Motown people because the lady sung back up with Motown. So when they would tour, they would stop at Miss Drummond's house and she would make them food. And so, you know, man, as a kid, I met all these people. I didn't really know who they were. I just knew they sang and people would be like, wow. 
I just say that to say, man, um, sometimes you don't know what your, your past brings to your present. Mm. And so for me, um, being a personal assessment to professional athletes, my kids got a chance to interact with athletes, entertainers and stuff. And it's funny because when the first time they went to a game or something without me and they had to sit in regular seats or whatever it is like, Oh, this, this ain't how we used to live. And we used to sit in, you know, behind the bench or in a box or whatever. So I remember when you was building your site, your website, and you, you had some videos that you had two people and it was so crazy how they just, again, from those two same guys, these two people's young people who now are grown people was like, yo, Mr. Miller helped me out. He helped me with this. He he was he was the, the right mentor, someone I needed to encourage me to. He was all that's the one thing I heard from those people. He helped me. He encouraged me to go ahead and keep going forward and to be better. Now, Brent, with you not really having that and hearing that from in the home a lot, maybe what made you want to do that? to those that you mentored? I think it was, man, just giving them somebody they could relate to. You know, a lot of times, Aunt, when I went to church, you either seen the grandfather type or the guys you wasn't sure about their sexuality. Right, yep. And I met a man, he played football, he fought in tough man competition, he was married, and I'm like, this a man's man. And so... I wanted to be that same example for young men who wanted to be Christ-like and be Christians. And I just wanted to give them an example, but it was, I think I got more out of it than I gave them. The program we did was called Lot, Leaders of Tomorrow. And God gave me Lot once when I was in St. Louis talking to a friend, because I used to want to be a probation officer until I talked to a probation officer. And they're like, yeah, we ain't trying to rehabilitate nobody. We just trying to keep them off the street. And so it kind of crushed my desire of what I wanted to do. So I said, when I start lot, I'm going to bring in doctors, lawyers, this, that, and the other, so kids can find out where the industry is headed so that they can make sure that's what they want to do. And, and, man, we had such a great time. Um, the hardest thing about youth groups sometimes is parents don't want to bring the kids. Hmm. Man, I would get the church van. Or my car, man, we'd be as deep as we could be in that van or the car. And sometimes I wouldn't get home till 1 o'clock in the morning after dropping everybody off, taking the van back, and then getting home. But I tell you what, man, I would do it all over again. The bond that I built with a lot of the young men, to give them somebody they could talk to, somebody they knew would be honest and real with them. And it gave me, man, like I said, it probably gave me way more than I gave them. And I would say, Brent, when you was when you had shown me one of your pictures on your website, there was a picture you had. You was on the steps of a whole bunch of kids around you. And I was like, wow, blown away by, by seeing that. And I just loved it. So to see that now you're in this realm of in the niche of now talking to young people. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me with that. That picture you're referencing, man, that was the second youth group I started at North Atlanta High School called Men of Excellence. Me and a lady by the name of Miss Fairleigh Nelson uh, came up with the concept of doing a mentoring program for the young men of North Atlanta High School. And after a year or two, Mr. Everhart came in and the girls, we let them come to one meeting and they was like, well, we don't have nothing for us. 
And it's not fair the guys got men of excellence. So what we did that next year, we started Women of Excellence. So we called it Men of Excellence plus, plus Women of Excellence equals Students of Excellence. Mm. And so, man, we would uh, mentor the kids and bring different people in for them to talk to and just get some information about school and college. And we did it for about seven or eight years until the pandemic hit and we tried it online. But, you know, kids, after being on school all day online, they weren't trying to do no after school program <laughs> online. So. Absolutely. But it, it was, man, I tell you what, even to this day, man, a couple of the kids that came up through Students of Excellence and lot have started youth group, have mentored youth. And I think, man, it's like Maya Angelou told Oprah one day when Oprah opened the school in Africa and she said, this will be my greatest legacy. And Maya Angelou said, who, who says so? You don't know what your legacy will be. She said, people will define your legacy. And for me, I don't know what my legacy will be, but just to know that some of the youth I work with have reached back and started working with other youth, that's probably one of the things that makes me the most proud. Brent K. Miller, why do you keep your towel in fatherhood? Now, I ain't going to lie. It's been a couple of times I wanted to take it, throw it in, burn it, stomp it, <laughs> get rid of it. But I think when you realize that life is more about what you give and do for others than yourself, then you understand that you have a part in shaping somebody, whether it's your own natural child or anything. As a father, man, you're given a unique position in life to set the example for not only your children, but their friends, uh, other parents. It's funny, when my daughter was in middle school, because I was self-employed, I would take her to school in the morning, I would pick her up, I coach football, and my kids have a running joke now that when they see friends they haven't seen in a long time, they don't ask how they doing. They say, how's your mother and father doing? And to me, that's a testament of the impact that we made on them. And it, it, it blows my mind, man, when you see kids that are doing something after school, like my daughter was in honor course, honor band, she ran track, she cheerily, and these kids sitting there, and it's like, where's your mom? I don't know. She's not answering her phone. Or where's your dad? And so we, hey, come on, get them something to eat, take them home. And just to be able to spend that 10, 15 minutes just talking to them and helping them think and rationalize things, man, I think. Once again, it gave us joy because, and when you think about it, man, we told our son, why are you asking somebody your own age how to handle a problem, whether it's with a girl, school, a teacher, instead of talking to us? We've been your age before. You haven't been our age. And you're talking to somebody that probably has less knowledge and information than you do mm-hmm. trying to take advice from them. I would say one of the other things that we did and that I think was very beneficial, no matter what our kids told us. We didn't lose it. You know, some kids be like, I got how to day. Oh, my God, what are you doing, this and that? So, oh, really? What made you do that? Even from that point, even to now, our kids can come and talk to us about anything. A lot of their friends would call us up and talk to us about anything. And I just think, man, as parents, we have to build that trust in our kids. Because, and everything I told you about the drinking and smoking, I told my kids. And somebody said, you told your kids that? I said, yeah. Because I don't want them to grow up with an unrealistic expectation of you have to be perfect. You're going to make some mistakes. Mm -hmm. You're going to make some missteps. You're going to do some things you later regret. 
but they don't define you. And so I think it's giving my kids the freedom to be who they are because they know we're not going to judge them and it helped them to discover who they are and what they are. Brent, before we hop out of here, if there's anything you want to say to OG fathers, the grandfathers, the appropriated fathers, mentors, coaches, pastors, and newbie fathers who are about to enter this thing, who are who just entered this thing called fatherhood, and those fathers who are still trying to learn this responsibility of fatherhood but hasn't gotten it yet, sir, what will you say to them? Look, brothers, we're not perfect. None of us claim to be. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell them, as a man, like I said, I'm not perfect. Me and my wife got divorced. We were divorced for about two years or so and got remarried. And that's because I wanted to do things my way. So we'll have to talk about that at another time. But just to let you all know, I haven't always done the right things. But it's just like a job. You know what the good bosses did and you liked and you do it and you know what the bad bosses did and you didn't do it. As a father, we may not always get it right. But if we're honest with our kids and we communicate, we can get through those rough times. Yeah, it's a thankless job. Mother's Day, you see all kind of this, that, and other Father's Day. It's almost like it's a flash in the night. It's like, oh, that was Father's Day? So it's a thankless job, brothers. But let me tell you something. It's probably one of the most important jobs we'll ever do. Don't let your relationship with somebody turn you from not being there for your kids. My brother told me once, he said, your parents' passion had nothing to do with God's purpose in you being here. There was something in you and something in that young lady God wanted to instill in that young man. Give him what you got. It ain't always about money, but the lessons, the principles, those are the things that will carry our young men. And we have to look out for our young men. We had OGs as aunts and grandfathers that did the best they could. They looked out for us. We had uncles. We had guys in the uh, streets that tried to steer some of us in the right direction. And yeah, some try to go the other way. But think about what they're all looking for. Games is nothing but an extension of family. Sports, an extension of family. That's why young men gravitate either to games or games because they're looking for that sense of family. So brothers, I'm not perfect, never will claim to be. You heard some of my messed up story, but have a relationship with your kids. They didn't ask to be here, so we can't neglect them because we got some other stuff going on. So fellas, I just say, hey, man up and be the man you want to see your son grow up to be. And that is called the mic drop moment, ladies and gentlemen. I think you want to go ahead and connect with this man. Fellas, I definitely believe you want to connect with this man. Brent, where can the people reach you, and what do you have going for yourself? Go ahead, my man. They can reach me at contact at brentkmiller.com. They can go to my website, brentkmiller.com, and they can check out some of the things I'm doing on YouTube and podcasts called Conversations with Brent. And you have to check out my episode with Ann Boogie. He dropped some knowledge there. So uh, I'm willing to talk with anybody. I feel like I have enough life experience that I'm a good sounding board, but also can give you a different perspective or a different point of view on something you're dealing with. So 
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. And he just dropped on some dope, dope stuff there. And I'm going to put all his stuff in the description box, his YouTube channel, his website, and everything. So you'll be able to go and check him out. Conversations with Brent. Yeah, man, this dude has some incredible coffee table conversations with people. So, Mr. Miller, congratulations. You have survived this sparring session, and it is officially over. So, yeah, he gave you the full gamut of his life, of having dad in the home, and things wasn't all that right. And then when he had to be on his own, it still wasn't right and what it led into. However, he finally had to find himself, and he realized he found himself in those who was well beneath him in age, and that is the youth. So, like I say to you fathers, thank you so much for listening, and happy Father's Day to all of you. Wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears, but whatever you do, don't throw in your towel. This is your man, Aunt Boogie. I'll check you when I check you. I'll see you when I see you. We are out of here. Peace. <laughs>